is a Woodside Church podcast. So before I start, I just wanted to uh, welcome Jonah, who is here all the way from Exeter, and is here only to see one man, and that is Tim Green. <laughs> he, welcome, Jonah. And also a warm welcome to anyone who is here at Woodside for the first time. Anyone new here for the first time? No, okay. Tim Green is very, very popular in Kerala, okay? He has gone there at least 18 times, is that right? 18? 20, 20. And um, I'm pretty certain that he remembers the name of almost every person in all our New Frontiers churches in Kerala. And that is why he's so popular. And uh, I will never even come close to your standard, Tim. <laughs> okay, we are going through our series, Prophets and Kings, and we are going through the book of 1 Samuel. And my portion is from 1 Samuel chapter 30. David finds strength in the Lord. Anything that I have to share this morning was either sung or shared. So I think I can just sit down. And uh, if you don't get anything, just, you know, just remember the testimonies that were shared this morning and some of the songs that we sung this morning, and that is a message. Now let's uh, look at the story, okay? David has been living in the Philistine town of Ziklag for one year and four months. Now the background to the story is that you know that Saul was jealous of David and he was hunting David down with the intention of killing him. And after several attempts, David decided, enough is enough, let me go and hide elsewhere. And where else is it safe, rather than, you know, other than go to the enemy country, the, the land of the Philistines, which are, you know, who are the enemies of Israelites, and stay there. So he went to the town of Ziklag and he settled there. And um, so this, we know, is a compromising situation. This is not ideal. This is not what God, God had in mind. And he probably made this decision without consulting God. Now, it so happened that, as, as often happens, the Philistines were at war with the Israelites. And once they went to war with Israel, and David, because he was living in their land, had to join the Philistines on their side to go to war against the Israelites. Now he was really on dangerous ground because he now had to fight against his own people, his own flesh and blood, a consequence of his compromising decision that he made earlier. But it also so happened that the Philistine commanders knew about David and his exploits, and they were terrified of having David in their midst because they thought he could turn against them at any point and they could be they could come to significant harm. And uh, so they did not want David to be amongst them, and David was released from the service and had to leave the battlefield. And we see that this is God's miraculous delivery, you know, for David from the consequences of his earlier impulsive decision. God is loving and faithful and often provides us with a way to escape difficult circumstances even though they are sometimes of our own making. 
So David and his men returned to Ziglag only to find that their town has been burned down and all their women and children are taken as captives. This was apparently done by an Amalekite raiding party. It appears that when we look at the whole story that God has allowed this to happen as he did not want David and his men to live in the land of the enemy. After all, David was going to be the future king of Israel. David and his men wept aloud. David's men were bitter in spirit. They were angry and upset, and they were talking of stoning David. And David was in deep distress, not only because he lost his wife and children, he lost the family of his men, and now they are talking about stoning him. But it says in the story that David found strength in the Lord, his God. So despite his failures and the crisis that he found himself in, he knew where to turn. Coming to God and trusting in him and looking to him for guidance is always the right choice. In contrast, when we look at Saul's life, Saul was the first king of Israel, he never learned to repent. And when he was cornered, his life tragically ended in suicide. And we find that David in his distress asked God for help and God said, pursue them, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. But there was a problem. They did not know which way the raiding party had gone. So they were looking for them in the wilderness and they happened to stumble across a half-dead Egyptian. And this Egyptian appeared to be the slave of one of the Amalekites who belonged to the raiding party. So once the Egyptian was refreshed and revived, he was able to show them the location of the raiding party. So God's provisions we see can look minor, feeble in fact, but it is sufficient to get us out of the crisis that we find ourselves in. So don't ignore the small things that God sends our way, right? There was another problem as well. David had 600 men with him, but 200 of them we see in the story were too exhausted to carry on. And David decides to leave them behind and he moves forward with the 400. So the resources didn't matter to David because he had heard clearly from his God and his God had told him, go and pursue them and you will certainly overtake them. So he was not trusting in his resources, but he was trusting in the God who gave him the command to move forward. And with 400 of his men, he was able to overcome the Amalekites and rescue all their women, children, and everything else that was taken, all the livestock, everything that was taken. In addition, we also see that they managed to plunder the Amalekites and obtain other livestock and items. So they not only recovered what they lost, but they profited as a result of this crisis. Now there was another problem, okay? So they are returning back triumphantly with all the plunder, all the wives and children, everything that was taken, and the 400 meet the 200. And the 400 
say to the 200, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. Okay? All right? We will not share with them the plunder we recovered, that we fought for, that we worked hard for. We are not going to share it with you. Share it with you. You can take your wives and children, but no part in the, in the plunder. And look at David. He has learned a very useful lesson. David said, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He understands. This didn't come from him or his men. It came from the Lord. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. And he makes the statement, all will share alike. And apparently this became a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. David clearly knew that it was not his brilliance or the brilliance of his men or his ability or the ability of his men <clears throat> that enabled them to overcome and achieve victory. It was because it was a gift of God. It was a grace of God. They did not deserve it, but God nevertheless gave it to them. And because he understood the significance <clears throat> of the grace of God to him and his people, he was also able to be gracious to those who did not deserve. So eventually we find that God, only, God not only allowed Ziklag to be destroyed because it was not part of his will, but did not allow any harm to come upon David or his people. Rather than suffer loss, they profited from this episode and learned a valuable lesson, the meaning of grace and the outworking of grace in their lives. So church, that's the story that we are looking at this morning. One Samuel chapter 30. There are a number of people here at Woodside who have faced one problem after another, one storm after another. And I'm sure if given an opportunity, you will come up here and say that we overcame with the help of our God. God is good all the time. And he's faithful every single day of our life. You see, church, crises and storms come into our lives from time to time. They can happen because of our mistakes, but quite often they happen without us doing anything wrong. And that is the nature of it. You know, these can happen in the life of believers and in the lives of unbelievers. Remember, Jesus told this story. He said, the wind can blow, the rain will come, and the waters will rise in the lives of believers and unbelievers. But the person whose life is built on the foundation of Jesus, of God, it is that life that will not be finished. Okay? It is that life that will stand. Hallelujah. Some have job-related issues. Some have financial issues. Some have health issues. And some of these issues can be quite serious and quite life-threatening. And when we go through such situations, our strength and our hope should be in the Lord our God. We rest in God knowing that He is able to take us safely 
through this situation. And that is his promise. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, this is a verse that I quote quite often, okay? One of my favorite verses. He says, I have told you this thing, these things so that in me you will have peace. And we spoke about peace this morning. In me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, he says. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I know some Christians who say that if troubles happen in your life, problems happen in your life, financial problems happen in your life, that means God is not pleased with you. You've done something wrong. That is not true, church. That is not true. That is not the right teaching. Jesus says, just because we live in this world, just because we live in this world that is under the control of, who is under control? Satan. It didn't have to be this way. Who was in control in the Garden of Eden? Well, man. <laughs> because God had given the earth to man. Man was the governor. You know, Adam and Eve were the governors of this earth. But they gave it away. Okay? It was snatched away from their hands. And Satan is in command. So because, and we see all the fruits of his kingdom in this world, okay? And that is why we have all these things. So, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. Now I need to, I want us to look at three points this morning, okay? One is, number one, how do we deal with a crisis in our life? Number two, uh, that's number one. Number two is, is crisis caused by sin or disobedience? Number three, what is the effect of a crisis in our life, all right? So first one, how do we deal with a crisis in our life? Psalms 46 is a good place for us to go. Psalms 46 was written by the sons of Korah, okay? And you know what Korah went through. Their forefather, okay, many generations ago, Korah, Abiram, and Datan were swallowed up whole when they rebelled against God and the ground opened up and swallowed them. It's their descendants, they are writing this psalm. So Psalm 46 was probably composed in a time of crisis and is useful to anyone going through crisis. So the first verse says, God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You see church, refuge is a place that we run to, that we flee to for protection when the enemy is approaching or when danger is approaching. Yes? Strength, on the other hand, is inner power to keep going or to keep fighting, all right? And God is saying here, the psalmist is reminding us here that God is both our refuge, our area of protection, and also our strength. So God is church, God is both our defensive and offensive options when we are dealing with crisis and difficulties in our life. Now let me share an example from my life. I've shared many examples from my life over the years. I'm sure I've shared this experience. Okay, this was a slightly difficult one for me. I came into this country in 1995 
October 1995, and um, the idea was, I just you know, came, I left my job, and I said, okay, I'll go to the UK, I'll be there for a few years, and then I come back to India. That was a plan. So I had to, to, in order to work here, I had to do this exam called PLAB, okay? It's like a licensing exam. So I boarded the plane, okay? And on the plane, I met two people who were coming, traveling to the UK to write the same exam. And the first question they asked me is, how many kilos of rice are you carrying? And I said, rice? Well, why? What about rice? They said, you don't pass a plab on the first attempt. It'll take two or three attempts. So that means you'll be out of work for several months, maybe six months to eight months. For the first time in my life, I started panicking. Not for the first time. First time about plab, I mean. I panicked before as well. <laughs> so I panicked, okay? And then I arrived at the house that I was going to spend a month in. And the next day I asked some of the, there were other doctors there who were going to write the PLAB exam. And I asked them, can you show me, point, you know, give me directions to a shop where I can go and buy some shaving cream and blades and paste and everything. They looked at me as if they were seeing some sort of a, you know, a vision or something, some, you know, some strange thing, okay? And they said, are you telling us that you did not bring paste with you? I said, no, I didn't bring. My mother said, you're going to a foreign land. Why take paste from here? You can go and buy it from there. So I said, how many paste did you bring? They said, four or five. <laughs> then I asked them, why? They said, we don't pass blab on the first attempt. <laughs> you know, we have to survive for months. I panicked, you know, my panic increased, my anxiety increased. And then I called Sunu, and I said, look, it looks like it's not what I thought, you know? I thought it was an you know, exam that I could pass, you know, it's not that hard. And um, I said, please pray for me, I think I'm going to be, we are going to be in great difficulty here. And I think the next day was Sunday, and I had a friend, I knew a friend who was here who had done the PLAB and passed the exam. He said, he's a Christian, and he said, are you, if you're free, we can go to church. I said, yeah, I'm in, okay? So we had to walk, I think, um, about an hour at least to reach the place of worship. So church, let me tell you, there's no excuse, okay? <laughs> car or no car, bike or no bike, okay? It doesn't matter, okay? Walk to church, okay? If that's the only option you have. So we walked to church and I am all the while, I'm anxious, you know, I'm having these anxious thoughts and everything. And the moment we arrive, the service had already started, and uh, the song that is, people are singing is this. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done for me. And imagine, God, as soon as I'm entering the assembly of saints, God is reminding me, it's not about what I have. It's about what he is going to do in my life. And immediately, my anxiety lifted. Okay? My anxiety lifted. And I rejoiced. We praised and worshipped and came home happy. And then, we find that uh, 
all the people who are going for a certain exam a month away, they do the practice together. They look at the questions and everything together. And very soon everyone realized I had nothing to contribute because I'd come empty-handed, you know? And these guys have been preparing for six months, for 12 months. You know, they knew all the questions. They, they had all the examples and everything. And uh, so I was an outlier. They didn't, you know, I mean, they had nothing to do with me. But I just stayed along with that group for a week because, you know, it was useful for me to know what questions would come. I had no clue, okay? I had no clue what would happen, what the exam looked like, okay? So after one week, I hit out on my own. I stayed in my room and I started preparing myself. Not only that, it was my practice every day to spend an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, studying the Bible and having a quiet time. So the people in that house is driving them crazy. They asked me, have you come here to do an exam on the Bible or have you come to write the PLAB exam? And I said, you know, this is what I do. I mean, this is my faith, you know, this is, you know, I, I like to spend time with God. And every time I read the word of God, God is reminding me of his faithfulness. Hallelujah. He's instilling me confidence like no other, you know, like nobody's business, as we would say, you know. And I'm strengthened, you know, daily. And I'm preparing steadily. And a day before we were all, the exam was in Edinburgh, so we had to travel from London to Edinburgh. A day before, one of the ladies who was staying in the house, she's also coming with us to, for the PLAB exam. She said, Ensign, why are you not shaking like the rest of us? We are all shaking like a leaf. Why are you not shaking? I mean, I didn't say anything. I, I, just, I just didn't say anything. She said, it must be your faith, you know? She said, it must be your faith. And we went for the exam. After each exam, you know, we would all come out and discuss how it was, and uh, they all wanted to know how I did. <laughs> I said, the exam was okay. I think I'll pass, you know, just fine, you know. And um, then there was a last day was a viva, and in the viva it went brilliantly. Okay, at the end, the two people who were interviewing me said, if you answer this question, we'll give you, you know, extra points. I knew straight away that I was going to pass. Okay, so I answered that question, and, uh, and a week later or something, the results were coming. And I, as usual, would have my shower, then I would you know, go and have my quiet time. So I was in the shower. So these guys are all waiting. They know when the postman arrives. They know the day when the result is going to come. And some of the results come to the temple, okay? Because they think if the results come to the temple, then it's going to be, has to be good, okay? And so they're all sitting there, I'm in the shower, and they knock on the door. Ensign, the results have come. Can we open your envelope? <laughs> they want to know what has happened to me, okay? I said, yeah, go ahead and open it. And they opened and said, Ensign, you have passed, okay? Hallelujah, okay? You see, church, you know, when God's people goes through a crisis or a difficult situation, okay, the world will know because we behave differently. We behave differently. They can see that there is something different in our lives. And I can tell you story after story from my life about the difficulties that I have faced. 
and they are all the same. And I'm sure you will be able to say you know, such stories from your life. He's an ever-present help in trouble, which means he's always present to help us when we are in trouble or going through difficulty. Church, isn't it amazing to be on the side of God? Isn't it amazing? He's ready and eager to help. That is why we don't fear when calamities and troubles come into our life. Isaiah 40 says, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I wanted to sing this song, and my wife said, for God's sake, don't sing it. (laughs) But church, why don't we sing it? Why can't you sing? Let's sing. Yeah, they that wait, come on. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Hallelujah. My wife likes when I sing to her. But she's, she's terrified when I sing in church. So, if I've caused any mistake in my rhythm or anything, I have no understanding of music. Okay, I have no understanding of music, but I sing, make a joyful noise, okay? And what I want to say, husbands, sing to your wives, okay? Sing to your wives. It's good. It's good. Okay, the next verse, God is within her, verse 5, God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. You see, church, God is within us. God is within us. He is our greatest blessing. He is our greatest blessing. And God is amongst us as a church. And we cannot fall. It says we will not fall. He will bring his deliverance at the right time. We just have to wait. Just as Lena shared this morning, he doesn't bring it immediately. It's like the unraveling of a tapestry, I say. You know, you have to wait and wait, and then as the tapestry of our life unfolds, we can see the beautiful picture coming out of our life. We see that, and we can rejoice. If God said, this is what I'm going to do, there is no excitement, you know? The excitement is in the waiting and the revealing that comes with time. Hallelujah. Psalms 37, 23 says, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. If the Lord delights in a man's way, sometimes we say, the Lord does not delight in me. The Lord delights in that person or this person. Church, that is wrong. He was happy with us. He was delighted with us enough 
to die on the cross for you and for me. And for him to carry on working in your life, we have to take some delight in him as well. How does he delight in us? We have to delight in him. We have to know that he exists. We have to know that he is God. We have to know that he is supreme. We have to know that he is in my life, in your life. And when we know that he is in my life, when we look to him, when we trust in him, then he's able to do his work in our life. Otherwise, he's not able to do. We tie his hands, you know. To untie his hands, we need to recognize that God is in our life. Hallelujah. And we, even though we stumble, we may go through suffering, we may go through pain, but we will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Look at Abraham. Abraham, after the defeating five kings, is victorious. He's coming and resting in his tent. He's sulking because he has no children. Okay? And God appears to Abraham in a vision and says, Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your great reward. To this man, whom when God called, he came out. God saying, I am your shield and I am your reward. Hallelujah. And that's what God is reminding us today, that he is your shield and he is your reward. And then verse 10, God himself says this, be still and know that I am God. Let's say that. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. That's what he's reminding us this morning. I am God. Look to me. This is God's invitation to his fearful people and to the nations around to come and to behold and to know and to consider that he is God, that he is in control of our lives. Psalm 46 is a psalm of confidence. It reminds us of a never-failing fortress. Reminds us of God's graciousness and compassion and mercy, his love and his faithfulness. Have you heard the story of Felix of Nola? Okay, This is a believer who lived in the third century in a place in northern Italy called Nola. The Catholic Church later on made him a saint but there was no Catholic church in the third century, okay? So this guy, he's a, he's a wonderful believer, and he's done, you know, uh, you know, so many exploits of faith, and the Romans were trying to hunt him down to capture him and kill him. And once they were pursuing him, and he's running for dear life, and he runs and runs and comes to a ruin, and he finds an opening in a wall, and he decides to go through that opening to hide from the pursuing Roman soldiers. So he goes in there, hoping that they will not see this hole in the wall. And the soldiers come not long after that, and one of them says, look, there's a hole in the wall, let's go through him, he may be hiding there. To which the other person said, it's not possible. Do you see a spider's web at the mouth of the door? And they said, so he can't be there, it's not possible, okay? And they move on. And Church, 
to a believer, to a child of God, even a spider's web is like a fortress. Hallelujah. But to those who do not trust in the Lord, even a fortress is no protection. And that is a story. Number two, is crisis caused by sin or disobedience? Yes and no. It's possible, but it doesn't have to be. So if you have committed a mistake, repent and ask for forgiveness. Just like a sister said this morning, repent and ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1.9, 1 of my favorite, another favorite verse in the Bible, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Number three, what is the effect of crisis in our life? Now, you all know that when we do training in a course, like even children when they do study mathematics or English or whatever, or if we do a course, at the end of the course, we have to sit a, a test, an exam. And what is the point of the exam? The point of the exam is so we will know and the people who are training us will know the standard that we have achieved, okay? So without a test, <clears throat> there is no training. And similarly in Christian life. Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, verse once, there's another favorite verse of mine, which I quote quite often. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying here, gold, such a precious commodity, is refined by putting it through fire. When you put it through fire, the impurities separate or are burnt away, okay? And it says, even though gold is so precious, it perishes with time. It just gets worn away, worn out, you know? Whereas, it says when we believers, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we go through trials, when we go through fire, our faith is proved to be genuine. It is strengthened. You see why God allows us to go through trials? Because He knows where we are. He knows our faith level. It is so that we can see for ourselves where we stand. It's a it's actually an education for us. When we go through trial, we can, if we reflect, if we are reflecting people, reflection is very good, okay? Not only in our place of work, but in our Christian life. When we reflect how we have gone through a crisis or a difficult situation, we will know where we stand as far as faith is concerned. It's actually an education for us, a revelation for us. You see, Abraham, each time God allowed a test to happen in his life, he came out trumps, he came out victorious. And he says, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So when we live a normal Christian life, if you hear a preacher saying, when trials come into your life, that is from the devil or whatever, you know, yes, it may be from the devil, but God allows it to happen in your life and my life so that we can trust in him and so that our faith will increase. Our faith can be proved to be genuine. 
okay, and strengthened. Hallelujah. The second thing is we recognize the grace of God and then apply it in our, into our lives. You see, when we go through a crisis situation, we recognize that the reason why we become victorious is not because of our ability. It is because of His grace. Because of His grace. I say this, we need grace not only to enter the kingdom of God, but we also need grace in this world. Okay, this world is harsh. They're just looking for a, for a, you know, for a little fault in you to bring you down, to put you down. So, and we are not perfect people. We are imperfect people, okay? And we make mistakes all the time. So we need grace, you know, in this world, and we need to show grace to others as well. So church, we should not be amongst those who condemn people when they are in sin, when we see something wrong in their life. We are not to, be, we are not to judge people when they make a mistake, but rather, because we have been shown grace, just like David, we need to get alongside people. We need to walk with them. We need to support them. We need to pray for them. We need to help them. Hallelujah. You see, the presence of God is like a healing balm that we can bring into their lives, into each other's lives. Sometimes when we go through suffering, we can't see anything, okay? We are all panicking, you know? We lose sight of who we are, where we are. So we need to get alongside each other and bring the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus is like a healing balm, okay? It soothes, it brings healing, it restores, it replenishes, it strengthens. So in conclusion, church, our God is a good God. He is a loving God. He is a compassionate God. He is a God who is not far away. He is a God who is in our life, in my life, and in your life. He is a God who is near for those who have received Him. He's always ready to help. And when we delight in Him and trust in Him, miracles start happening in our life. Unbelievable things start happening in our life. When all around us is sinking sand, we would be standing on solid ground. We will declare his name and his mighty works in the assembly of saints and to the world. So church, before I hand over to Sarah, I just would like to pray for, for us. Loving Heavenly Father, Father, we just thank you so much for this time. You have been speaking to us throughout this service, through the songs, through the testimonies, and through your word. And Lord, when we come to you, Lord, we can only say that you are a good, good father. There is no one like you. There is no one like you who is so loving, who is so compassionate, who is so merciful, who is ready to walk with us, who is ready to listen to us, who is ready to speak into our lives. And we are so blessed, Lord, to call you our Father. We are so blessed to experience your presence in our life as you walk with us. Oh, we give you glory, we give you praise. And Lord, now 
I commit my brothers and sisters into your hand who are going through suffering, painful, difficult situations in their life, sometimes life-threatening issues. And Lord, we pray, Father, that as they look to you, that you will shine your light into their lives. Oh, open their hearts, Lord. Open their eyes so that they may see you. They may see you, Lord. And Lord, give them the grace to rest in you, to lean on you, to hold your hand, and Lord, to delight in you. And Lord, we pray that you will release your wonder-working power into their life. And Lord, we just pray, Father, that you will make them to be overcomers, Lord, to be victorious by your power that is working them. Only you can do this, Lord. And Lord, in faith, we bring them, my brothers and sisters, into your hands. Lord, do an amazing work in their lives. Do a miracle in their lives, Lord. Do unbelievable things in their life, Lord. Oh, Lord, we just pray, Father, that they will jump with joy. Oh, rejoice with gratitude in their hearts and come and say, God is good. He has done mighty and wonderful things for me. Lord, we just pray, Father, that you make this happen, Lord. Make this happen. May your name be glorified, not only in our lives, not only in our midst, but Lord, we pray that your name will be lifted high in this town. Hallelujah. That your name will be lifted high amongst our friends, our work colleagues, in our neighborhood, amongst our relatives and friends. Lord, we want your name to be lifted high, Lord. And we want, as your people, to show everyone the living God. And we want to bring this healing balm into everyone's life, Lord. Father, we just pray, Father, that you'll channel your goodness through us so that we will be a blessing to many for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com. Thank you.